Thank you, Josh and worship team. That was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. We are in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we will be in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you want to make your, make your way there, bless you. <laughs> Uh, last week we looked at the Beatitudes, the first, uh, well, verses 3 through, through 12, and the first verses there in Matthew, and really the whole point of the Beatitudes is uh, the way to true happiness comes by living for God and following His ways. That's what, Matt, that's what Jesus is telling us. The first word he, he utters in the Sermon on the Mount is Beatus, here's how to be happy. The first thing that Jesus says, that Matthew tells us that he says, in the first sermon that Matthew recorded, is here's how to be happy. And that's what we talked about last week. So if you missed that, of course, you can always go back to fbcdan.com, and we put those, the messages and the services there. Also, if you're a note taker, you can go to fbcdan.com where it says sermons. Underneath that, there's a place that says sermon notes, and you can follow along with my notes. As you do that, you can take notes on that, on that page, and then you can email it to yourself at the end. Uh, of, of taking your notes for those that like to do that. So uh, you can definitely do that if you do. So um, little stories we head into the, our verses for today. So there was a, a, a tight old farmer, right? Tight is in, you know, what tight means, right? Don't want to spend money. So this guy didn't like to spend money, and he had a farmhand that was, uh, this was a long time ago, and he was wanting to uh, go court his, uh, this woman that he was interested, interested in. And when he did, he took a lantern with him, uh, to go to her place, and the uh, farmer, the, the owner of the farm, was, was upset with him for taking that lantern. He thought it was wasteful uh, to use that much oil and to use that much, you know, that, the cost of that and everything. He said, I tell you what, back in my day, I didn't have to take a lantern to go courting somebody that I wanted to court. I didn't need that lantern. I didn't take one with me. And the, uh, the farmhand said, well, but look what you ended up with. <laughs> uh, yeah. So light makes a difference, right? <laughs> light can make a difference, you know. So that's all we're saying. Uh, as we get into these verses, that will become more and more true. So looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 this morning. Jesus says here, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on the hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Mm. Amen. God, please speak through me this morning as we open your word. God, we pray that we glorify and honor you as we open your word and, and, and meditate it and, and draw it into our hearts, Lord, we pray that your word would change us and that would invigorate us and motivate us and inspire us, Lord, to live for you in the way that is honoring and pleasing to you, God. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. So we're looking at these verses this morning, and really, uh, it's kind of in the middle of what, Jesus, what we went over last week and, and then, of course, what we will continue to go on for the next several chapters um, and it's really the, the, the why are we here part of the sermon. Why are we here? What's our job 
Jesus says our job as a follower of his, as someone who has placed faith in him, is to be salt and light. To be salt and light in this world. So we're just going to dig into that this morning. And he starts with, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What, what does that mean? What, what does salt do? Salt can do a lot of things, really, but it has some basic, basic functions, some things that it's been used for for a long time. Uh, and definitely the things that Jesus is alluding to here are those basic functions of salt. It has a few basic things. One of those is to be a preservative. Salt preserves from, from corruption. I love, you know, hearing, hearing good stories from Wayman growing up and things like that and talk about how, you know, you had to plan for when you were going to salt your meat and preserve your meat for the winter because it had to be a cold enough day and all that. And you, could, and you literally would salt it to the point that it would preserve throughout the winter uh, and, and not rot. This is pre-refrigeration. I'm dating him a little bit, but he doesn't mind when I do that. Before you had refrigeration, if you, to keep things cold so it doesn't rot, you had to put salt on it. Salt preserves from corruption. Salted food keeps bacteria from rotting the food. Think about that. Think about, think about how important salt has been throughout the history of humanity. Wars have been fought over salt. E economies have been based on salt. Literally, it could be the difference between life and death throughout the history of humanity. Prior to refrigeration, if you didn't have salt and you didn't have food that was fresh, then you could die from the lack of being able to preserve that food moving forward. So we, as his followers, should prevent and confront destruction, rot, decay, sin, whatever word you want to put on it. There's a lot of words we could put on that. As his follower, we should be salt. And one thing that salt does is preserves from corruption. So we should prevent corruption and destruction in this world if, as much as possible in our own actions. And we should confront it in the world. We should be willing to confront that as well. What else does salt do? Salt adds flavor, right? Amen. Salt adds flavor. I, I used to not ever put salt on anything whenever I was younger. I don't really know why. Um, but man, I've learned to I've learned to love it. It makes everything taste better. It's good. It adds flavor. It makes it better. It makes it more interesting than it would be without it. I mean, there's nothing worse than bland, nasty food, right? Sometimes all it takes is a little, I mean, take eggs, for example. Eggs really aren't that good. <laughs> Unless they have salt. You sprinkle a little salt on some eggs, and you've got a pretty tasty dish. All because of the salt. It makes it different. Okay, here's the, here's the way Paul says it in, Col in Colossians. He says, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Here, here Paul draws this same allusion into the fact that gracious speech and being like salt are similar, right? We should be different. We should add to. We should make things better. We should make the world better. And then Peter says it this way, talking about being different, salt making things different. Be holy. He says, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, that's not a place we like to dwell on. I, don't, I mean, you probably don't dwell in the area of holiness in your devotional time all that much. Because it makes us uncomfortable. It's difficult. Like... 
We're, we're, I, I, I like the grace and the mercy stuff a whole lot more than being called to be holy, right? To be different, to be set apart, to be, to be holy as God is holy. That's quite the undertaking and responsibility. But it's, it's talking about here, like, be different because God is different. We should be different in the world than the rest of the world. God is different than us, and we are called to be holy as He is holy, set apart, holy. React, in other words, react differently. Just give you some examples. How, how, how can we be holy? How can we be different, set apart from the, the way the world conducts itself, the way human beings left to themselves just live life without God? We should react differently. <clears throat> I'm just now getting my voice back from Thursday's basketball game where I did not react like salt. I'll be honest. Huh. At all. God. Yeah, no, none of us did. I, thank you. That makes me feel better. So we're all dirty, rotten sinners. That's great to know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. I agree. I shouldn't have chased this rabbit, but here we go. All right. React differently. React differently. And not just, I mean, that's an easy example or, or a silly example, but in the world, when, when things happen, re, we should react differently than what our natural instinct is to react. We should love differently. The world loves to get. We should love to love. We should do good to just do good. How do we know that? Because God loves you just because. He doesn't love you because you do things that make you lovable. He loves you in spite of the fact that you are very, very, at most times, very unlovable. He still loves you. That's the way we're called to love. We should forgive the way God forgives us, right? We should give the way God has called us to give. God gives a lot to us. We'll get into this further into the, into the, uh, into the sermon, but you know, he said he, had, he adorns the fields with beautiful flowers, and you're worried about what you're gonna wear? Like God gives generously. We should give generously with all that we have to give from, our, our time and our money and our talents, all those things. How does God give? He doesn't give expecting to get back. He gives because He is gracious. It is who He is. He's a gracious, generous God. We shouldn't give expecting to get back. If you give that way, then you're not giving God's way. We should serve that way. We should, we should sacrifice that way. We should be sincere that way. We should be real. We should be different. We should not be like natural man is. What else does salt do? Salt will make you thirsty, right? Salt will make you thirsty. You know, back in the day, uh, athletes would take salt pills. I've got a theory on, on, on one reason why we have so many more concussions nowadays, and I think it's because we don't do that anymore. But I won't chase that rabbit either, and I'm not giving medical advice either for those that are out there that are listening. But salt makes you thirsty, right? I mean, in a good way, salt makes you thirsty. Uh, if you put a little bit of salt, y'all wonder why it was up there, wasn't you? I put a little salt in my hand and just, mm, that's good. <laughs> it's good, right? But it makes you thirsty. Interesting, table salt. It's a weird thing. You take sodium, Chloride comes together, and it makes this interesting thing called salt. And we need it, and we have to have it. You know, if you don't have sodium and chloride in your body, then you won't make it very long. You can't live 
without it. Uh, it takes both of those things, right? And I think, I think salt and the fact that it is made of two different things is kind of reminding us that the way we should be salty to the world is with truth and with grace, right? With truth and with grace. Combined, that's love. That's God's love, truth and grace. Combined together in the right way, you get table salt. You don't combine it the right way, then you've got something weird. You know, the chlorine is where chloride comes from, right? There's only one electron difference, one subatomic particle difference between chloride, which is what is in salt, and chlorine, which in its gaseous form can kill you. Kind of crazy how that goes. So it's truth and grace have to go together, and it has to be given in the right amount, right? I mean, salt is good, and salt tastes good, unless it's too much, right? I mean, if I took the lid off of this and poured it into my hand and then drank it or ate it or whatever, swallowed it, what would I want to do? <laughs> right? I would want to spit it right back out. Sometimes... Sometimes the way we try to give truth and grace to the world feels the same way. You have to, we have to be wise, right? There's, a, there's an element of wisdom. that <laughs> The actual Greek word used here for salt, losing its saltiness actually means foolish behavior. Because there's a, there's a, a combination in the, in the old language of, of salt and wisdom being together. We have to be wise in our saltiness. We have to have the right amount. We give the right amount and then you want more. It's all you want. If you get the right amount of salt, all you want is more salt and more water. And who's the water? The living water. <laughs> Pretty cool, man. God's really smart. He's good at this stuff. How, we, how can we say that? Disciples, if they are true to their calling, what Jesus has called us to, we make the earth a purer, more palatable, better tasting, while increasing a thirst for Jesus. That's what we do as salt. That's what we're supposed to do. To do right now the whole sermon on the mount is how to do that what, what we've read before and what we're going to go through after the whole sermon on the mount is how to be salt and light but this part is the why this is why you do all that is to be salt and to be light this is why we are here this is our purpose in the world is to make the world tastier to make to make god tastier to the world excuse me same thing, to make it pure, to, to not allow destruction, to not allow corruption, right? To, to make people want God, to know God, and to experience God. So, are you being salty? Then there's just one word right here, right? It says, what was, you are the salt of the world. You are the salt of the world, but, and that changes everything, Right? That one word changes everything. Like, that's a big word in the English language. I was talking with a, with a young couple this week in uh, some premarital counseling, and we talked about how when you're, when you're trying to help someone, try not to use this word. It's a, it's a thing I learned from coaches that are a lot smarter than me. It's like, if you say, you know, you did a good job, but what do you instinctively know is coming after that word? Something you don't want to hear. A criticism, something is coming. You, matter of fact, after you hear that word but, as a human, you don't even really remember what was said before it. All you remember is what came after it, right? It's, a, it's an important word. So if you can learn to, this is not part of this, but this is just in general. If you can learn to substitute the word but with the word and, you can make the same point and it's a whole lot easier to take. The person actually wants to hear what you're saying instead of automatically getting defensive. Moving along before I chase that rabbit too far. 
says, but, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Think about that. Salt that looks like salt, but it doesn't taste like salt. It doesn't preserve and purify like salt. It doesn't make things better like salt does. What's the point of having that kind of salt around? Right? It's like the, it's like the, it's like the person that calls themselves the Christian. And they do the things kind of-ish that, that look like they're Christian. But they're not really doing what God's called us to do to be a Christian. It's kind of what he's saying here. This is what you're supposed to do. You can call yourself salt, but if you ain't salty, what's the point? What happens to salt that's lost its saltiness? It's no longer good for anything, he says, but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Salt that looks like salt, but it ain't salt, it's just garbage. It's not useful because it's not fulfilling its purpose. Salty Christians should be alive purposeful, hopeful, joyful. That's what salty Christians are like. They're, they're bringing the things to the world that are of God. And that's a desirable thing. That's a desirable thing to the world. So my question is, are you a salty Christian? Is that you? Are you bringing joyfulness, hopefulness? Do you have a, do you have a purpose that is driving you deep down inside? Are you alive? Or are you just... Are you really just acting just like the dead world because you just say you're salt or you kind of look like you're salt? That's a question for you to answer, not for me. He then further explains it this way. He says, it keeps going on because Jesus is a masterful teacher, right? I mean, a masterful teacher. Now, think about this. I'm getting ahead of myself, but think about this. They weren't carrying a Bible around back then. When you gave a sermon, when you gave a, a message, when you taught like Jesus is sitting here teaching his disciples, you had to teach it in a way that it was memorable. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have the book. You didn't have this, like, this precious gift that we have and take for granted on a daily basis. It had to be delivered in a way that you could remember it. So Jesus tells them that they're salt, but they're also light. So maybe they didn't catch the salt part, but they're hopefully going to catch the light part. He says, how, how are we light? What does light do? Light makes reality or truth visible light makes reality or truth visible and and by doing that by making things visible it gives guidance and direction by what it's made seen the question is who is the light who is the light he even said that didn't he john 8 12 jesus spoke to them again i am the light of the world i am the light of the world jesus says anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of light. See, light must have a source. It must have something where the, that, where the light is coming from, the power source, a place that makes the light happen. Jesus is the true light. We as his followers, placing our faith in him as our savior, the forgiver of our sins and the giver of eternal life, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is to shine through us because he is the light as the true light is in us in the holy spirit it's like mind-blowing when you think of it that way jesus's light the light is in you as a follower of jesus the holy spirit's present in us is to shine through us isaiah describes 
the ministry of the Messiah like this. Isaiah 49, 6. He says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations or the Gentiles to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's how Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus is ever walking on the earth, describes who this becoming Messiah is going to be and what he's going to do. He's going to be a light that brings salvation, not just to the Jews, not just to Israel, but to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the world, to everyone, regardless of man's delineation of who they think they are. And then, check this now. This is cool. This is cool. This is Paul when Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, right? And they're being attacked by the zealous, jealous, envious Jews in the synagogue in Antioch because they're not liking this message of this Jesus, this Messiah, for the world, for, no, for us, for us Jews. And Paul says this. This is good news for you and me. Acts 13, 47, he says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. This is Paul talking. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He quotes Isaiah 49, 6. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Right? When the word of the Lord is shared correctly and with the right heart, somebody's going to rejoice. Somebody's going to rejoice because it is good news to know that there is a God that loves you in spite of you. That is good news. There is a, there's a God that wants to redeem you even though that you're, you're unredeemable. You're irredeemable. You're both. We're both. I'm both. That's good news. And the Gentiles, they, they were like, yeah, let's get after it. Now, that's what I'm talking about, right? Light. We are light to the world. Why? To bring salvation. That's why we shine a light. We are extensions of Jesus' ministry. He started it. He is it. And then he uses us. We are extensions of that ministry. But he goes on there. He says, A city situated on the hill cannot be hidden, just as light bearers of Jesus cannot and should not be hidden. He goes on in verse 15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Right? Now, we think one lamp lighting up a house doesn't make sense to us because we have sectioned-off rooms, but most houses back then were were way ahead of their time. They were open floor plans. <laughs> and one light could shine and light up the house, right? Pretty cool. And Jesus is like, why would you do that? No one would really do that. No one would really light a lamp, right? And they didn't flick it on. There wasn't electricity. You had to light it. Fire had to be burning. No one would take that lamp and light it and then cover it. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you waste the oil? Why would you waste the time? Why would you waste the energy? Why would you waste the chances of something catching on fire that's covering it? it doesn't, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense for a light to be covered when light is needed so badly. It doesn't make sense at all. Just like it doesn't make sense for you to have a city on a hill and then you're just going to put something over it where you can't see it. You can't even do that. No, that doesn't even make sense at all. Who could do that? It's just as illogical and ignorant 
for someone to be a follower of Jesus and have the light of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, shining inside of them and then to cover it up and not bring that to the world. It doesn't make any sense. We are to be a, a, a radiated light, right? Tony Evans said that, says it this way. I love Tony Evans. He, here's the way he describes it when you get to the good works. He's, here's the verse. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's dumb for you to be a light and not to shine. So shine, Jesus says. And then Tony Evans says it this way on a good work. A good work is a righteous and biblically authorized action that is beneficial to others and for which God gets the credit. If you're wondering what that means, good work, I think that is a really good definition from a guy that's a lot smarter than me, has been preaching for a really long time, has a wonderful kingdom-minded heart. A good work is a righteous and biblically authorized action that is beneficial to others and for which God gets the credit. That's a good work. Because we'll get to this later on in chapter 6 where Jesus talks about not being showy with certain actions. Right? What's the difference? It's the heart behind the action. It's the heart, the motivation behind the action. Are you doing it so that God gets the glory or so that you get the glory? If you're doing it for the fact that you get the glory, then you ain't doing it right, he says. And then right here he says, give glory to your Father in heaven. Many of us pray that way, don't we? Right? Father God. Our, our Father who art in heaven. Right? It's, it's, like, it's like normal language for us now to call God Father and to think of Him that way. That wasn't a very normal thing at this point in time. Matter of fact, when, when Matthew tells us that these are Jesus' words right here, it's the first time that he tells us that. It's the first time of, of 45 times that Matthew uses the term Father when talking about God. Now that's pretty cool, right? What is he saying? It's personal. Your relationship with God is personal. It's intimate. It's a relationship. It's Father God is who we're living for and who we're doing this for. It says it this way in Galatians 4, 6-7. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you know Abba, you've heard this probably before. Abba is like Daddy, right? Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God, whoo, that's a good part. God has made you an heir. Amen. Heir, heirs have something coming, right? Mm. The king. The king. Remember, that's Matthew's entire description of who Jesus is. The king. Not just the king, but the king of kings. The king wants his people to know that his kingdom involves a deep personal relationship with him, with God. It's, it's much, much, much more, church. It's much more than a religious or organizational connection, which is what the Jews had. It's what the Jews wanted. They kind of like the check-the-box way of relating to this God out there somewhere. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's Father God. You say, well, my father wasn't worth a flip. Well, this father is. Well, we say, my father was awesome. Not as good as this one, no matter how hard he tries. He's the perfect, 
perfect execution of what it means to be father. And he wants you and he wants me to be in a deep personal relationship with him. He doesn't want you to just perform religious acts or be involved in an organization. He wants you to know him because the more you know him, the more you love him. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says it like this when summing up these verses. It says, Light radiating people live so that others see their good deeds and give praise not to them but to their Father in heaven. I like that. That's a good way to put it. So what are we saying? What is our purpose? If you summed up these few verses right here, 13 through 16, if you put it in a statement, let's put it in one statement. Salt and light bring out the God flavors and God colors of this world and make people open up to their generous Father in heaven. We are called to be salt and we are called to be light. What we do should make people want God. What we do should make people see God. Think about that. The God colors of this world. There's a lot of colors that, that, that don't reflect what is great about life. But we are to do everything that paints the most beautiful picture as we live our life. So that someone looks at that and says, I just got to know what that is. I just got to know what that is. Right? That right amount of salt. Mmm. Tastes good. And as soon as it hits your tongue and you start to swallow it, you get thirsty. You either want more salt or you want the living water. One of the two. What are we saying? I'm saying that we got stuff to do. I think I say it almost every week. Seems like it keeps coming back around and around. We got a lot to do. We got a lot to live for. We have a, a, an eternal purpose in this life. I don't know how you could find more meaning out of life than to have an eternal purpose that brings people who are dead to sin to life in an eternal God, in a relationship with an eternal God. What more could you do that would be worth your time than spending your life for that reason, being salt and light to a world that needs, desperately needs the God flavors and the God colors of this world. That's what we're called to be, Jesus follower. Now, if you ain't a Jesus follower, then you need to be one. <laughs> you need to be one. Oh, I like it when Wayne laughs at something. I agree. You need to be a Jesus follower. It's the only way, it's the only way this world makes any sense, living for an eternal God that loves you. You can try all the other stuff, but it ain't gonna be worth a darn, I can promise you. I've tried a lot of it, and it is not very fulfilling. It does not make me feel beatus, satisfied and happy. But living for God, living for an eternal loving Father, man, it's the best thing I've found. I think it's the best thing I've found because I think it's the right thing. Placing your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sin, understanding and recognizing that you need God. Understanding and recognizing that in spite of how sinful and how far off the mark you are from who you should be for some reason, and that reason is because he is that good. For some reason, God still loves you and wanted you to be with him. But he's also righteous and just. So there has to be a payment for sin. There has to be a payment for sin. This God, he paid the, paid the price for you. Paid the price for me on a cross. He wants you to repent of your sin and place your faith in him and in that truth. And be reborn 
so that you can go out and be salt and light until he calls you home. He's eventually going to call us all home. Looking forward to that day. More than I ever have. But until then, let's be salty. Let's shine bright. Lord, I love you and I thank you for today and I thank you for the fact that you, you give us a purpose in this world, God. May we take that responsibility seriously. May we take that responsibility seriously, God. May we go out and, and, and bring the flavors of this world alive. Joy, righteousness, holiness, true happiness and fulfillment. May we bring it all alive, God. May we shine a light that, that brings others to salvation, God. The whole world. You've sent us to reach the whole world, you said. All the nations. May we take that seriously, Lord. May we celebrate that when we see when we see another person come to that light and, and, and place their faith in you, may we celebrate that together. When we see others living and being the salt and light that you've called us to be, may we celebrate that together and, and find joy in that, Lord. We thank you for that this morning. As we finish up here today, God, if there's any business that needs to be taken care of, Lord, may this be the time that we respond in obedience to whatever it is you're laying on our heart. Prayer singing, song, joining the church, coming before the church and, and, and announcing that you, that, you that, that they have placed faith in you and salvation and received salvation. God, whatever the business is, we pray that it would be done right now and in your name and in your authority and in your power. Amen.